This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Episode 43 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm Brian Wayne, and this week I'll be going over all of the books that were released on the 7th of August, 2019, as well as talking about everything else relevant to the world of comic books. So, full disclosure, I do have a bit of a potty mouth, and at the same time, I drop spoilers, so just be prepared for all that. And when you get to that point of preparation, grab yourself a drink. Let's talk comic books. Uh, But first, as usual, let's start with a little bit of news. Now, admittedly, I am recording this the day after uh, comic book day. I'm very proud of myself. I read a bunch of books in a little bit of time. But I won't be posting this right off the bat. So, uh... The, the the point is is that I'm not going to have a whole lot of days to grab comic book news. But thankfully, I do have a couple of small things to touch on. And we're going to start with DC and Walmart. So I kind of thought that maybe the DC Walmart thing wasn't doing so well. And that's why they had to republish some of these books as... Uh, yeah, individual things, because the Walmart 100-page giants, it's a compilation of stories from what I understand. Personally, never read one. I do own a Swamp Thing Halloween special, but I actually own two for some reason. Never read them. Uh, I, you know, I, I, it's just, I don't know. The fact is, is that their expansion is going to be through uh, TV and movies. So apparently they're going to have, DC's going to be doing stuff where it's just... Uh, Walmart exclusive. So, I don't know how that's going to work. Walmart exclusive Batman movies and stuff. That's, whew. I don't know. I don't know. But the fact is, it's a thing that's going to happen. Um, also, a little bit of new, more news with the DC is Jim Lee has admitted that uh, digital comic sales aren't really great. As a matter of fact, they're, I mean, it's not that they're doing terribly, he just wishes they were doing better, as, you know, as normal business man, man, uh, manner. But, <laughs> um, he says it's plateaued. And now that they have the DC Universe uh, streaming service, uh, if you're not aware, you can read a whole huge library of comics on there. And it's a very smooth interface. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I went through and actually visited Injustice on it. And I couldn't believe how quickly I went through those comics. And I had to go through and look and said, is this just a teaser? I mean, I felt like those 20 pages went really, really, really quick. Uh, But no, it's just the the interface is so smooth. You move through a comic just with such fluidity. And, yeah, uh, so the fact is, is that because that's a thing, Jim Lee knows that he's going to have to to incorporate some method, and no method uh, in particular was spoken of. He just knows that he needs to do something to get sales back up, so, uh, in the digital comic world. On print, there was no, we're not talking print at all. This is strictly digital comics. So I know a lot of people are going to jump in and say, ah, comics are dying, comics are... No, 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 digital comics. And personally, I'm not mad that digital comics are dying. <laughs> or uh, they're not dying, but just not doing great. Uh, so, yeah, no, because I want to keep print alive. That's where it's at. Uh, last little tidbit of news is going to involve Shazam. You may have noticed that we haven't talked about Shazam in a little bit. 
And that's on account of how pushed back it is. It's going to be pushed back 13 weeks by the time it comes out. And that's going to be coming out on the 11th of September. Is when we get, was it issue 7, I think? Man, it's a long gap. And consequently, obviously, the other issues are going to be pushed back. They're not going to put out, <laughs> you know, issue uh, 8 and 9 because they're ready. Or they're probably not ready. The 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 goal is is to just go bi-weekly for uh, five issues to get caught up. But, I don't know. And at the same time, it's not the only project that Jeff Johns is being delayed on. Doomsday Clock. Uh, <laughs> I guess he's even doing some sort of TV thing, too, where he's delayed on that. So, is Jeff Johns just slow? I don't know. But he's brilliant, and I like his stuff, so... I'm cool with it being late. It's it's fine. It's not like there's not nothing else to read out there or watch or whatever it is. It's there's plenty. There's plenty. So that be the news, at least that I picked up from the last couple of days since I did this podcast. <laughs> so let's get on with the overviews. I can actually say with all honesty that every single book that I opened up and read this week stayed in the overview section. There was nothing that I read that I put in the honorable mention section. The only things I have in the honorable mention section, which I'll pro- I could probably just wait to talk about then, it's just stuff that I, I, I haven't read yet. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. The point is, is get excited. There's some good stuff this week, and we're going to start with a very much anticipated Dark Horse book, Berserker Unbound. So this is Jeff Lemire and Mike Diodoto Jr. coming together again for the first time since Century. So, uh, it surpassed expectations like I could not believe. You know, to me, I thought of it as, okay, Conan on in New York. That's what the premise of it sounded to me. But no, no, the, the lead up to it all... Now, I will say that there is a bit of a, you know, the the, the gladiator trope, if you will. And I, I hate the word trope, but it is. The, that's kind of what it is, is he's, uh, he, he being um, the mongrel king, he returns to his village to see that it's been ravaged and burned. And, of course, his daughter and his wife has also been uh, deaded up. So, naturally, he vows revenge, but the people he's about to revenge at, they come flying at him in hordes, and he just tears through them like it's... Oh, oh, dude, it's fucking gnarly. Diodoto kills it on this art, seriously. But eventually, even, even he is overcome, and he's, he's forced to, uh, to retreat. And when he retreats, he's he's doubting himself. Like, ah, fuck, I'm a coward. That's, ugh, here I am in this weird cave and, ugh, just hiding like a little bitch. But boom, portal opens up, and guess what? He's on Earth. He wakes up in the woods that's not far out of the city, I would imagine. And this homeless guy is kind of crazy. He's like, ah, you're stealing my shit, man. You're stealing my shit. And, yeah, uh, I have a feeling that homeless man's going to play more of a part in old mongrel king's life later on but here he is all up in the city i dug this book so much jeff lemire did an amazing job with the pacing and mike diodoto i think this might be my favorite thing that i've ever seen him illustrate is yeah it, it, it was incredible hands down uh, it's it's a must read absolute must read if if and z you can find it Let's move on to an image book now, Coffin Bound number one. I believe this book is also sold out. Uh, Dan Waters, Danny on the art, and Brad Simpson on the colors, and Danny on the cover. Uh, so, this is a number one. Uh, there's, there's, a, it's an information dump, but at the same time, it's done very well. Uh, essentially what it is, is it follows this character by the name of Izzy. She wakes up in this shithole house, and there's this weird, creepy character known as the Vulture, which is, uh, a man's body with a cage and a vulture skull in it. 
and uh, you know you kind of get the feeling of death if you will but the the metaphor behind it all is the vulture circles what's getting ready to die and that's her indication that oh shit someone's after me and that's what this book is it's her on the run from the earth eater and the earth eater looks fucking dope uh the 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 leather face and the 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 idea behind earth eater is is it's this unstoppable force and it eats the dirt and it tells you know the earth speaks to it him it's a person as it turns out (laughs) it's fucking crazy man it's crazy so uh izzy's just gotta make her way through some shit and you know, she's gonna kill some motherfuckers along the way, and at the end, she meets up with this this lover. Uh, yeah, no, I dig the shit out of this book. It gets fucking dark for a second. This girl rips her fucking boobies off, and then the bandage are all back together. There's a whole nother plot line that goes on in there, but I figure some of this you should just read for yourself. Because, oh, there's a moment when one of her air quote friends turns out he was actually the guy. I guess I could explain this. He's actually the guy that put the contract out for her (laughs) but he's this twacked out fucking super rich druggie from how i take it and he was like oh shit i did that to my friend i gotta go change this he goes actually confronts earth eater and uh what happens from that point is just damn that's all i gotta say so go out read coffin bound you're gonna want this book you really are uh oh more dark horse i'm just kind of jumping around here between image and dark horse it looks like but I don't know, it was just all read pretty randomly this week. Uh, No One Left to Fight, number two. The comic you always wanted. And, frankly, uh, through two issues, I might have to agree. Aubrey Sitterson, Fico Osio, killing it. Taylor Esposito even dropping the letters like a goddamn champ. Look at you getting cover time, letter. So... Uh, we're still following Val and Tamor and Krista, and they're getting to go on this trip to go visit Mistress Harga, who is the trainer of Vale. But, wait, hey, what happened at the end of that issue? It looks like a Kamehameha was getting ready to happen in a little... Yeah, no. Krista just, that's the beginning of the book. Krista's just like, hey, you stupid fuckers, what are you doing? You're about to make a mess. (laughs) Right before our trip, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, well, not not in those words exactly, but along those lines. <laughs> so, yeah, now they're on their way to go visit Mistress Harga. The kids, Tater and Totter, or whatever their names are, Tate and Tot. I forget. It's definitely something like that. Um, <laughs> the, they're being watched by uh, by the, the, the crab man. Fuck, I forgot his name, too. God damn it. He's the Piccolo-like character. Did I mention yet that this is... Uh, the Americanized Dragon Ball Z. The idea behind this is is what if Goku just had beat all of the bad guys in the world and yeah, he's just gotta fucking be a dude now. So well, turns out maybe there's more people left to fight. We do get this quick little snippet, and if you miss a page, just you, you you missed it. But we got this character, and you know what? I gotta figure out his name because Mr. Sitterson himself actually told me the name of this character. So, as I'm talking, I'm going to be getting on the old Instagram here. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we get this evil look and fucking character, and he's hovering above them, looking down, and uh, the, the Hierophant, that's what he's going to be called, the Hierophant. And he's got, like, a snake skull face type of thing and a really cool purple darkwing duck hat. <laughs> but uh, he looks, he doesn't. Well, he actually does kind of look a little happy, but mean at the same time. You get the idea. He's definitely a bad guy. I'd be super surprised if he wasn't a bad guy. But maybe he's not, and there really is no one left to fight. I don't know. Fact is, is uh, from that point on, once they arrive at Mistress Hargas, uh, a.k.a. Master Roshi, they are greeted by Winda, and so she, uh, she was also one who trained with Vale, under Mistress Harga, the second best student. And we get this weird moment where upon arrival, we get a super weird jealousy between, uh, or at least tension, uh, aggressiveness from Wenda towards Krista. And it makes you wonder that, because Krista's with Tamar, and yeah. Uh, 
meanwhile, Tamor is just super fucking jealous the whole time. He did not train under Mistress Hargus, so they get this uh, super uh, tense, funny moment. And yeah, it's, it's a whole lot of build-up to a whole lot of fun. It's a bright, vivid, colorful book. Wear your sunglasses, that's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah, I highly suggest this book is... Uh, was picked up. If you could find it, once again, these books move fucking quick, man. Fucking quick. Let's move on to another image book. Sea of Stars, number two. This is Jason Aaron, Dennis Hallam, Stephen Green, and Rico Renzi on the colors. Green and Renzi on the cover. So, Daddy Gill, we know that he got eight, but we also know that he survived in the belly. Well, we figure out how he gets out. He just stabs the thing in the back of the neck, and it vomits the blood along with old Gil. Uh, his spacesuit is lacking resources heavily. He's got two hours and 17 minutes to survive, and he just figures he's going to slowly use his boosters very, very frugally to just carry his momentum through space. Luckily enough, he lands on the space freighter, and he's greeted by this uh, very aggressive little drone space bot thing called Kyle, K-Y-L, all capital. But from then on out, Gil just refers to it as just like regular white dude Kyle, K-Y-L-E, and that's how it's spelled and everything. <laughs> uh, so from here on out, you say, yeah, no, it keeps going for a second. The whole time, it's, it's not friendly, though. It's just warning him. The whole, you get off the ship, you have two minutes to comply, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, as he's not complying, this weird tentacled creature comes out, and Gil gets in a whole scuffle with it. And uh, before we could figure out who the winner is, countdown complete, he didn't get out in time as Kyle warned, spaceship goes into hyperdrive. But wait, there's two characters in this book. Old Kitty Caden. <laughs> you got Daddy Gil and Kitty Caden. So Caden, he's the, he's the little dude that got separated from Daddy. And he was found by monkey and fish. And they are, you know, space creatures that very much resemble a monkey and a fish. The fish being more like a whale. And the monkey is, yeah, it is like a monkey, but definitely have alien-like qualities as well. But they realize that there's something super, super special about Caden because he should not be able to survive in this atmosphere without, you know, a spacesuit working. And, yeah, there's something ultra special about him. That's why they're not eating him. <laughs> so they, uh, there's also another being that's introduced that's been watching from afar. We don't know who this person is, but it, or what this being is, but we know that, uh, I want to say that the species is, or the clan or whatever it is, it's the Zates. Zat, Zat, is that what it is? Zatex. Zaztex, that's what it is. But, um, yeah, no, they see old Caden as this, uh, this god, prophet. Yeah, yeah, the, the answer to everything. I didn't know there was a question, but, yeah, what do you know? And setting up something more than just a, a little happy father-daughter type, or father-son type of deal. Digging it quite a bit. Uh, really caught me off guard. I... I picked up one the first week because I don't. Th I think it was a. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think it was just a. No, I just came down. To, oh shit, Dennis, <laughs> Dennis Hopeless and Jason Aaron are writing a a creator own book. That's what it came down to. Is an obvious pickup, but the story premise didn't do it for me until I read it, and it was amazing. So yeah, what do you know? Uh, so now we're gonna cross on over, segue into some IDW DC. Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number four. This is volume three. What's happening here? James Tinney in the fourth, Freddie Williams the second, and Jeremy Caldwell on the colors. Williams and Caldwell on the cover as well. So, if you're not aware, a uh, quick rundown of what's happening in this book. It's this weird universe where uh, turtles are Robins and Batmans and everything. is the, the, the histories between the two universes are very meshed. Uh, Joker isn't really the Joker, it's the, the Laughing Man, and he has the Laughing Clan, which is the Foot Clan, and Krang is behind this whole thing. Uh, Batman and the Turtles recently have 
realize that, okay, no, there are other universes, this is not theirs, because of the Kevin Eastman Raphael that comes in <laughs> at one point or another. Oh, shit, there was no fucking Kevin Eastman on this one, I just realized. But, um, yeah, uh, that's, that's essentially the premise of the story. So now what's happening in this particular issue is Shredder ha and the Foot Clan have joined forces with Batman and the Ninja Turtles under the... Uh, idea that no killings allowed, Mr. Shredder. Not allowed to kill. Same thing with you, little Foot Clan people. And, yeah, that's the idea. And the the main gig is, is to take out the Laughing Man, because through the Laughing Man you can get to Krang, and Krang's the guy that fucked all this up. He made all these worlds collide, and yeah. So, meanwhile, we go to Laughing Man and Krang, and Laughing Man says, Look, dude, I've done everything right. And Krang says, You know what, bro? You're right, dude. Take the mother box. And what the mother box does is it's a gateway to the Ultra Techno Drone. And what that does is unleashes Krang's dope-ass army. But he'll know when it's time to open it. So, at this point, the Laughing Man knows that Casey Jones is a way... He has some sort of answer. I, I, I forget, to be honest... Why they know to go after Casey Jones, but that's the thing. April O'Neil also knows that Laughing Man would be after Casey Jones. What's Casey Jones doing now? He a cop. So he's up in the precinct, and he's in the, the meeting room, and April O'Neil just comes busting in and says, I gotta take him. And they say, you can't do that. Who are you? You don't have the... She's like, oh, no, no, I got this. I'm just gonna take him. And she warns Casey along the way, dude, Laughing Man's coming after you. Uh, they get out just in time because the precinct's invaded by who? The Laughing Man. And they get out just in time. Batman and the Ninja Turtles show up to help. And then right behind them, Casey Jones with his mask and his bat and his fucking hockey stick. He comes flying in and yeah. Laughing Man and Batman go on a chase. What do you know? He's dangling over a vat of acid. Uh, Laughing Man falls in comes out as the Joker, and unleashes Krang's army. Bam. That's a fucking issue. That sounds interesting, right? I think so. I think that sounds plenty interesting. These Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle books have been incredible, and I think you all should read them. Uh, hey, more Batman. Uh, Batman number 76. Tom King. Tony S. Daniel. Uh, Sundu Florea and Norm Ratman along with Tomal Moray on the colors. Daniel and Moray on the cover as well. So, the City of Bane is in full effect. And this is very much just an awesome continuation of what happened in the last one. It's just showing more villains choosing sides, who's running, who's not, who's complying. And this particular one, the villains that we're following are uh, uh, Scarecrow and Kite Man, and we get a little bit of the brothers Tweedle. So the beginning of the book is actually Gotham Girl going or fighting Captain Adam, and you know the the idea behind Bane's city is you know there's there's no heroes to fight, there's no reason to need a hero, no reason to need a villain. This is just you're you're with me or you're dead, <laughs> or I'll just make you with me. So, yeah, Gotham Girl's taking on Captain Adam. Wait, how does she do that? Turns out Gotham Girl's super fucking powerful. And this is how we know how powerful it is. She just owns Captain Adam. Meanwhile, Thomas Wayne, he takes out the brothers Tweedle. And we get this is when we get the idea of what's going down. Uh, they, they quote, Villains go down, heroes go out. So, essentially, Gotham Girl gets that. And instead of killing Captain Adam... She just throws them really, 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 really far. Um, villains, I think they're the ones that they they would either ki they they kill if they don't comply, or they take them in for uh, <coughs> uh, brainwashing. <laughs> so yeah, no, that, that's that's what's going on here. Uh, Kite Man and Scarecrow are confronted by Bruce Wayne. They're hiding, and then they're found. Kite Man, he did. <laughs> and then at the end we get a dialogue between Tim and Damien and they're both uh, frustrated because they can't do anything to help because Bane has this law over Gotham where if anybody in the Bat family enters Gotham in any way, shape, or form, Alfred dies. 
Yeah, they have Alfred. So, dude, Tom King, uh, you're back, dude. I'm so happy. This Batman book is dope. Loving it a bit. Quite a bit. Uh, Justice League, number 29. Scott Snyder, James Tiena IV, Bruno Redondo, and Hi-Fi. Covered by Francis Manpool. This is a whole lot of Starro slash Jaro. I'm confused. I don't know which one's what. Admittedly. I'll say it. Um, now, the, the chatter around this book says that this is a really deep, pull-on-the-heartstring, emotional type of story. Uh, I went through it twice, and I, I haven't... I don't, I don't see it. I don't know where that would be in this book. Um, maybe I'm just a cold, heartless asshole. I don't think I am, though. So, I definitely miss something. Uh, with that being said, that's where my lack of enthusiasm is coming from, because I have a feeling there's a lot more to this book than what I pulled out of it. Essentially, what it's doing is setting up the Justice Doom War, which will take place in issue number 30. Uh, yeah, that's... I, I don't... Like I said, I, I didn't get a whole lot out of this to really talk about. Um, other than the fact that it's a whole lot of Starro. He's good, he's bad, he's good, he's bad, he's good, he's bad, he's super powerful, he'll fuck you up. Mm, yeah. Um, really what it comes down to is because of Starro, Jaro, uh, the Legion of Doom knows the Justice League's plans because he put his, um, self on all of their faces and they have a piece of Jaro the Legion of Doom has a piece of Jaro and because of that and it's all connected and yeah he's all up in their minds now that's crazy right that's crazy <laughs> more DC the last of the DC deceased number four golly Tom Taylor Trevor Harrison uh uh Damn, did I not take notes on this? I didn't take notes on this. That's how much I love this book. I just flew right... I, I think I read it twice. Give me a second here. Uh, Stefano Guadiano and Rain Barreto. Cover by Andy Kubert and Brad Anderson. So, hey, look, Captain Adam again. <laughs> Captain Adam, he thinks that, you know, he's invulnerable to this virus, what's going around. He ain't. That's a big deal when Captain Adam has a zombie virus. Meanwhile, Superman shows up with Mom, not Daddy, though. And uh, he shows up uh, in Metropolis with, or two, meets up with uh, Oliver Queen and Black Canary, who's now Green Lantern. They go off and do things. Um, at this point in time, pretty much anyone that's alive, even Lex Luthor and all of them, they all gotta join forces. There, there's, there's a fucking lot going on. Uh, Superman and Black Canary meet up with some flashes, and they have themselves locked and contained, because they realize, look, if we, <laughs> if we get infected, that virus spread like a motherfucker. And, yeah, but Superman says, trust me, we got this. Harley takes on uh, Batgirl, Batwoman. Is that Gotham Girl? I can't tell. And Catwoman. Along with, and Poison Ivy's teamed up with Harley. It's, ugh, guys. This is DC's best book. It's so good. It's just a whole bunch of motherfuckers in doomed situations. The big part of this is uh, uh, Giganta. Is that her name? <laughs> she, yeah, Giganta. She's zombified. She comes crawling up through the earth, and Cyborg comes in and fucking blasts a goddamn hole through her fucking head, despite what Superman wants. Uh, Alfred comes flying in on a fucking Batwing, gives Damien a bat suit. Bum, bum, bum. Hot Girl comes flying in. Uh, Wonder Woman saves her. Uh, Captain Atom is getting ready to blow up Washington, D.C., on account of, you know. He's infected now. And boom. Uh, Wonder Woman and Superman gotta fly him out. Did they get there in time? We don't fucking know. That's, yeah. Why would they tell us that? 
<laughs> this book is so good, guys. It really is. DC's best book. Best best mini series I've read in a very, very, very long time. Shout out to you, DC. And Tom Taylor. Golly, you're a fucking beast. Let's move on to Marvel now, and I'm not even going to tease you with anything. We're just going to jump right into absolute carnage. I'm not going to make you wait. You thought I was going to make you wait to the end, huh? I'm not going to make you wait to the end, because I didn't want to wait till the end. I talk about them to you as I read them to myself. Does that make sense? That probably didn't make sense. <laughs> That's the order I go in, though. So, Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, J.P. Meyer, and Frank Martin. Covered by Stegman, Meyer, and Martin. If you got one, you're cover A. Uh, there were, I think, I don't know. I want to say seven covers to go on the shelf, something like that. I don't know. There was a bunch of fucking covers. I don't remember. So, this this was 60 pages. You got your $8 worth, that's for sure. This was not a book of advertisements, anything like that. It was just a smooth, fluid fucking read. And, you know, it's... I don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about these 60 pages because it's really something that... This is a very visual book. This is a fucking Ryan Stegman book. So you're going to want to read it, despite my overviews. <laughs> So what's going on here is Eddie is a wanted man. Dylan recognizes that. He's still trying to get Dylan to safety. Dylan don't know he is daddy. Uh, Cletus is chasing him, and they run into a subway as the this carnage cult was coming after them. And the separated symbiote that is Venom jumps in front of the train, stops it, and bam. Venom and Eddie are reunited once again. There is a showdown. Cletus does show up as Carnage. Boom. Right off the fucking bat, we get a Venom-Carnage battle. Uh, he does the old Colossus up the juggernaut electricity up the arsehole trick. And that uh, incapacitates Cletus for a moment. Enough time for them to get away. Uh, meanwhile, you know, they figure, I'm going to go track down Spider-Man for assistance. And... Spider-Man says, hey, maybe we should, you know, don't you know the Maker or something like that? The fact is that then the Maker gets involved. And he just so happened to have designed a machine to extract these codices. And these codices being the left-behind uh, symbiotes of people that have ever been uh, uh, bonded with. And that is the idea behind this book, is in order to free Null, Carnage must go through and take all of the these codices out of... The, anybody that's ever done it. And usually that just means, you know, removing the spine. No big deal. So we get this really gruesome moment where we see this giant graveyard of spineless bodies. And there are people in this pile, like, you know, Thaddeus Ross. But the idea is, is he's digging up the dead ones. Yeah, that's fucking, dude, metal, dude. This book is so metal. And, you know... Things lead them to Norman Osborn. <laughs> so they're in the, this, this, uh, the Ravencroft prison. And Carnage shows up. He's flicking fucking symbiotes at all these rabid prisoners. Doors open up. Trapped in a prison. Carnage's, Cletus's. Ugh, dude, gnarly shit. 60 pages of badass comic stories. And, no, oh, get you some of this. I, I, I... I know a lot of shops uh, overthought their ordering, and, you know, once they got their books, you know, they ordered 100, 150 copies, and they get them in, and I saw, you know, a lot of posts from some shops saying, oh, I hope this does well, because there's a lot of books sold out in 45 fucking minutes in a lot of those shops, Mile High Comics being one of them. It's, ah, dude. The, these, despite everyone's um, outcries of you know, hatred for Marvel events, this this <laughs> it sells, man. It sells just like the whole fucking X Men shit. It sells. Good on you. I'm happy for you. I'm happy because it deserves to sell. That was a good book. I was skeptical myself, to be honest. Let's move on to Daredevil number nine. Legacy 621, Chip Zersky, uh, Lalit Kumar Sharma, Jay Lyston, and uh, Javi 
Tartaglia. And Julia Titino de Tesco did the cover again. What's going on here is Matt and Reed Richards are playing chess in a park. And we get this deep moment where Matt straight up asks Reed Richards, like, dude, you've been all over the place. you fought gods. You've seen all this stuff. Is there a god? Because <laughs> um, I've made some serious life decisions lately based off the fact that there's a god and kind of itching to not do those life decisions anymore and <laughs> essentially that's that's what he's doing i really think that as much as matt murdoch wants to believe in god he wants to disprove there is a god so he can go back to bashing skulls and yeah what do you know <laughs> um that's that's just in the very beginning and then we touch on the events of the last issue where Mindy Libris of the Libris family brings old Maddie Murdoch up for dinner, and then they get all shot up, and everyone survives, but yeah, it was a bad dinner. <laughs> and then Cole North, he gets turned on by the department because it turns out that the department was really working with the owl, and the ones that weren't working with the owl were super cool with Daredevil, and we all know what Cole did to Daredevil. Pretty much made it so that there's no Daredevil anymore. Yeah, there's a... There was there was some stuff that oh and then uh, uh Daredevil bangs Misty too <laughs> or Mindy my bad uh yeah that's the thing at the end <laughs> the fact is, is Daredevil without being a Daredevil is pretty cool and we get a moment where Daredevil puts on his little uh his little mask thing again he doesn't really he just kind of uses it as a scare tactic I don't think he really kicks any ass but he does save this boy from, you know, getting his... I could be wrong. Maybe he does go in and kick some ass. I'm not sure. But there's hints that Daredevil's coming back as a thing, so... Get on it. I really... Uh, I think Daredevil's been incredibly consistent for a character that I wasn't really a huge fan of for a long, long time. Admittedly, until the TV series. That's what sparked my interest, but... Yeah, no, that's, that's what it is. Power... or House of X, number two... Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, Marte Garcia, cover by Larraz and Garcia. This was uh, a little more insightful than the first one, <laughs> that's for sure. So this follows uh, entirely a character called Moriah, something like that. Mora? I'm, I don't know, it's a weird fucking letter coming. It's not a name anybody's ever said before. Um... <laughs> But essentially what it is, is she has the power of reincarnation, and we follow the many lives of Mariah. And we go back to that scene on the bench with Xavier, and uh, really, and then we get most of the textbooky type of stuff that's been, you know, in these House of X and Powers of Ten books. Uh, in this one, it's all towards the end. I think it's done much better. Uh, there is some pages in here where, you know, it is uh, just straight dialogue, but, um, I wouldn't say, I mean, not dialogue, but just, uh, information, if you will, and, yeah, no, but overall, it is, admittedly, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the first two books, I know that there's a lot to, you know, be desired, and it was just because I was confused and didn't know what was going on, this is a lot more insightful, for sure. But it it lets us know that there's some there's some this bitch is badass. She does some shit, and they completely leave out any details about her sixth life of the ten. And what happens is, um, at one point in time, she's met up with this character by this character called Destiny, and she has the power to you know I guess see the future, and she knows the. Uh, Mariah's only going to be able to reincarnate 10 or 11 times. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I, it was, I mean, the art was incredible. Absolutely fucking incredible. And they, they, it will continue to be throughout these books. I have no doubt about that. It's just a, it's a slow burn. There's a lot to know. There's a lot to know when you're completely, you know, and learn. When you're completely redoing an entire franchise from scratch that everybody thinks that they know everything about already. <laughs> it's it's going to be difficult, but worth it in the long run, I would imagine. It's Jonathan Hickman, so it's going to be good, right? Uh, Savage Avengers, number four. 
Jerry Duggan, Mike Diodoto Jr., and Frank Martin. Uh, covered by David Finch and Frank DeMata. So, Joe Town Lawn has summoned the Kulon Goth, or the Marrow God, if you will. And, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a point in time where he actually makes Frank see his family. And, he, you know, they believe he's back. But Voodoo and Electra help him snap out of it. And then Venom shows up, but in this dragon form. And then we get, you know, essentially a fight between Venom and the Marrow God. And, uh, yeah, but then we get this whole bunch of, you know, it's all these fucking alphas in this room together. And there's bickering and fighting and all this shit when there's, you know, a Marrow God to be fighting. And Electric steps up and says, hey, you fuckers, let's all come together and let's fight. And that's that's what they set up. Now, this book was much more visually stunning than I just <laughs> portrayed it to be. It's Frank... De- or, I mean, not Frank, um, Mike Diodoto Jr. It's amazing. Frank Martin on the colors helped quite a bit, don't get me wrong. But, whew, this is, uh, and there's good news. I thought this was only going to go four or five issues. Um, obviously, there's more to this, so it's going to go past four. So, at this point, I thought, okay, six issues for sure. Because Diodoto's leaving. You know, he's, he's got stuff to do with Jeff Lemire. He's got Berserker Unbound to do now, right? Uh, no, no, I heard it from Jerry Duggan himself when I, I, I expressed my my uh, my woe for, you know, this being a miniseries. And he said, it's going to be a hell of a long miniseries because I'm currently writing issue number 11 right now. Cheers to comics podcast. And my, uh, whoa, dude, that's fucking huge. And Diodoto confirmed, so he's still going to be drawing it, it seems. I thought this was just a quick little last shebang before he leaves Marvel. But no, it looks like he's going to do some shit for a minute. That's fucking exciting. Get you some. (laughs) Uh, Next up, Old Man Quill, number eight. Ethan Sachs, Ibram Roberson, and Rachel Rosenberg. So we know that the Guardians of the Galaxy have been dead. Uh, Not with Quill at all despite his beliefs in his eyes. So we figure out what happened. Oh, by the way, I got I forgot to shout out the cover, coverist. That's going to be a thing. Uh, John Tyler Christopher. It's a fucking sweet cover. Uh, so, yeah, um, back to the story. Uh, three months ago, before the events of now, the Guardians of the Galaxy were seeking to free the Silver Surfer from the Universal Church of Truth. Because they figured they were the only one. He was the only one that could take out the Universal Church of Truth. They had him contained. Well, when they get to Silver Surfer, they realize uh, he's not in great condition. <laughs> but they are able to obtain some information because Mantis gets all up into his head, and they realize the the ultimate nullifier is going to be the tool that they need to defeat Galactus. Um, unfortunately, Gladiator shows up along with the Imperial Guard. And the Guardians essentially have to sacrifice, sacrifice, uh, <laughs> Mike Tython, uh, sacrifice themselves one by one to slow down Gladiator and his army so that they can get the, the plans to Quill, who is the only other choice at this point to possibly take out Gladiator. Because there's really no heroes left. And they just figure, out, oh, it's Silver Surfer. Oh, but shit, Quill. Okay, I guess we could... <laughs> so they're not super excited that it's Quill. But, yeah, and then we go, you know, we get the... Uh, the moment where the plans come in, and Quill is met by, of course, the church. But uh, Quill fucking pulls a little fast one and somehow some way he comes out with a fucking hulkbuster suit are you kidding me are you fucking kidding me jesus christ i love this i love this so much fuck a peter quill in a hulkbuster suit fighting gladiator dude it's so good we've only got four issues left and the guardians of the galaxy are for sure dead they all died like fucking champs 
And it wasn't that long ago, so it's not, you know, ugh. God damn it, Ethan Sachs, you know the wastelands so well. So, so well. Uh, carrying on. Dead Man Logan, number 10 of 12. Ed Brisson, Brisson, Mike Henderson, and Nolan Woodard. This one right here. Uh, you know, this It was kind of all over the place, but when I, it came together at the same time very well, I guess. I, I think what it came down to is I think I was just a little confused by the character designs because so many of the characters look similar. Now, granted, yes, um, the, there is an army of saber-toothed clones, so clones would, you know, essentially have bare resemblance to other ones like themselves <laughs> on the screen. But as far as determining uh, who was where at what time, it was difficult because it was mostly a lot of... Uh, profile up-close shots. Now, the art was good. It just wasn't a lot of distance shots to show settings, uh, at least from my memory. And I just read this book, like, two hours ago. So, uh, yeah. But Sabretooth is, and his clones are after Bruce Banner Jr. They're in Forge's compound. Uh, Wolverine and Danny are, uh, the, you know, they, they gotta go get Bruce Banner Jr. Because guess what? He was captured. So they're on their way to do so, but we remember from the past few issues we touched on Speedball being in containment. He's in this containment cell, and he's uh, built up so much energy now to where if he were to just step too hard, he would create this massive fucking explosion. Well, somehow he his his containment gets opened up as Forge and his Lady Eleanor are fighting off all of these clones, slowing them down so that uh, Logan and Danny can can uh, gain some ground and catch up to Bruce Banner Jr. Well, when Speedball uh, comes out of his little thing and he looks out into the wastelands and sees all of the destruction and fighting that's going on out there, he just steps off the ledge and, uh, well, boom. <laughs> fucking crazy uh, I, I, I I didn't think that I would be this this into Dead Man Logan this far in I thought that it would have lost me by now but it's it just uh, it's so good man uh, you know, I would say for the most part it gets better if every issue it's just this one might have kind of plateaued just a little I wouldn't say it was worse than the last issue but I wouldn't say it was better either it was just right on par uh, so yeah no that's Dead Man Logan. We've only got a couple more issues before fucking Old Man Logan's dead for good. That's a bummer. Because, you know, I like this guy. He's, he's super cool, right? <laughs> Punisher. Number 14, Legacy 242. War on the Streets. Matthew Rosenberg, Simon Kredensky, and Antonio Fabella, covered by Greg Smallwood. So we know that Zemo and Fisk have struck a deal. But Zemo isn't really <laughs> uh, obeying. He has this brilliant idea of having a bunch of his Hydra people go out on the streets dressed as UN soldiers to, to go after uh, Castle. And Fisk would benefit by, you know, the public seeing Castle taking out UN soldiers and it not really being UN soldiers, it's actually Hydra soldiers. Well, the problem with that is, is that uh, Zemo allows the, the Hydra soldiers to wear their Hydra suits underneath the UN outfits. So when the pile of bodies start to accumulate, they realize, you know, oh shit, these guys are Hydra agents. So it all backfires. And needless to say, uh, Wilson Fisk is, he's a little upset. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Meanwhile, um... Frankie, he's he's got himself in a bit of a situation, but Black Widow shows up and Night Thrasher, and they rescue him. They take him back to this compound, and at this compound is also Moon Knight. Yeah, um, <laughs> because you know the, the the oh by the way, it's uh, Zemo and the Thunderbolts that overwhelm Frankie. It's not just a bunch of schmucks, it is the Thunderbolts. So, uh, yeah. Uh, that's where 
Black Widow comes in. So they take him back, and Black Widow determines that, look, you know, you, I think it would help if you had a friend in all of this. We know what's going on. Turns out you don't have a lot of friends, so I've just got these fucking schmucks. <laughs> and one of them happens to be... Uh, like, okay, so we've got Night Thrasher, Moon Knight, then Sergeant Rachel Cole shows up, and essentially she's a female Punisher. And uh, then we've got Ghost Rider, the Danny version. Uh, he gets thrown on the team. And that's what this issue is. It's, it's you know, following two arcs. The, you know, Fisk getting fucked over by Zemo and Zemo failing to fuck over Frankie. <laughs> I didn't even rehearse that. <laughs> uh, no, but Punisher continues to be the most solid, consistent, uh, true-to-the-character story that Marvel has. It's long live the Punisher, long live Matthew Rosenberg, Simon Kredansky, and Antonio Fabella, because it is Marvel's dream trio. It is, yeah, it's the big three, man. That is the new big three at Marvel, in my opinion. Last book of the overviews. Incredible Hulk, or Incredible, Immortal Hulk, number 22, Legacy 739, Al Ewing, Joe Bennett's back, Roy Jose, Paul Mounts, covered by Alex Ross, that's nothing new. Uh, Gamma Flight slash Alpha Flight. They're recuperating from the, you know, the the shitty stuff that's just happened to them. Uh, Sasquatch, he did. His body's on the table. And meanwhile, it's kind of a debate of what do we do with them? Do we bury them? Do we try to revive them? We've seen people die and come back to life before, uh, including you, Dr. Samson. He's there. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, General General Fourteen he found a way to bond with Abomination. Uh, Joe Fixit, McGee, Betty, and uh, Rick Jones are on the run. And uh, while they're on the run, something confusing happens. I'm not exactly sure what's happening, but they refer this giant green being, not giant, but green being that resembles that could uh, looks like Bruce. But it, they acknowledge it as another Joe, and it's calling Joe Bruce, and it's really just saying, "Go to Grom Lake. That's where shit's going down. Go to Grom Lake." Meanwhile, uh, uh, Gamma Flight also happens to know that General 14's hideout facility is under Grom Lake, so that's where they're going. And what do you know? The two collide. Um, it's kind of there. It is kind of funny. They they have this whole heist plan of going in there, getting all this information, exposing General Fourteen and all this other shit. I'm talking about Gamma Flight, and they go in there and they get this super intricate plan. And they say the only way this could be foiled is if they're psychic. Well, they teleport there, and then boom, immediately surrounded. <laughs> and the uh, the next dialogue on the page is we are, and they're not psychic. They just have the greatest ultra surveillance in the world. And, yeah, they're all hemmed up, under-prisonered, and then, boom, Hulk, Red Harpy, uh, McGee, and I believe it's Rick Jones come barreling through the ceiling. We're about to get another fucking fight. This is good shit, guys. This is good shit. And, uh, speculator warning, um, General 14 as Abomination, and it looks like they're suiting each other very well. That's... Mm -hmm. <sighs> Immortal Hulk is... It's it's really good. Yes, there are moments, admittedly, where I don't know exactly what the fuck's going on, but uh, that's uh, it gets explained eventually. I figure it out. It's uh, sometimes maybe we're not supposed to know. Maybe it's not just me, but that is what it is. And that's the overviews. Let's move on to the ever so small section of honorable mentions. Uh, Space bandits. Number two, Mark Millar and Matea Scalara. I very much enjoyed issue number one. I did. And the only reason issue number two didn't make it in is because my reading schedule this week was a bit off. Uh, I, I wasn't able to pick up my books until later in the day than, than usual. So the only resources I had were the review copies I get from Independence. And I wasn't about to waste a whole Wednesday not reading. Well, for whatever reason, I didn't think I subscribed to Space Bandits. So I went through and I read all my indies before I went and picked up my books. And because, yeah, 
it was too late for me to realize that I did subscribe to this book, all six issues. So uh, it's I, I look forward to reading it. I got plenty of time. I just unfortunately didn't make the overviews. Uh, thumbs number three. So I very much enjoyed issue number one. I think I uh, I was my maybe my head just wasn't in the right place for number two because I felt like it just maybe took a step back and got that issue two itis like I like to say, but. Based off of everybody else's reviews, uh, it, it seems like maybe it skyrocketed to the next level. So I'm going to give issue number two another try, and because of that, I don't want to read issue number three until I do so. But I will be I will be following this book till the end at this point in time, because the reviews are friggin' astounding. Sean Lewis, good job, man. I'm happy for you. Uh, Ronan Island, number five from Boom Studios. Uh, I think... I think I missed number four. I, I don't know what happened. I'm going to have to go through and search for them. And because I'm not confident that I read number four, at least I don't have it in my notes, um, I'm not going to read number five. Or maybe I should. I don't know. Maybe I'll be all right if I don't. Or if I did. And not too lost. We'll see. But I really enjoyed the, st the first two issues. That's for sure. Um... Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys Marvel history number six. So I thought this was done at five, but here we are. Issue number six. I don't know if it's going to continue to go on or not. I'm going to look into that before I decide whether or not I'm going to do a trade negotiation bait on it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That's a time-permitting type of ordeal. And the... Well, no. Okay. Uh, Major X is not the last one. Number zero. So they did one through six and then did number zero. And I was under the impression that maybe they were just doing another major X run and starting again with number zero. But that's that's not the case. It's a seven-issue series, uh, one through zero. That's <laughs> how it came out. But uh, no, I have no interest in opening this book at all. Uh, uh, old readers know why. I just don't like this man, Robert Leefield. But, yeah, yeah, golly, it's still bad. That is not what a thigh looks like. That is so fucking terrible. Jesus, I can't look at it. It makes me, my heart hurts for comics. I'm sorry, comics, that he happened to you. Um, and Green Lantern, number 10. I did, I guess I kind of stepped off of reading this book on account of how many words are in it. <laughs> Grant Morrison, I love you, dude. Uh, Liam Sharp, your art's incredible. But sometimes, it's just... I guess I don't know enough about the Green Lantern world to be as in, uh, involved into this book as I should be. Because this is all types... You know, I feel like this is for people that just know a lot about Green Lantern. This is not a newbie read by any means. At least the way I believe it. Which is unfortunate. I kind of wish they would have done a Green Lantern where new readers can, you know, like a rebirth type of thing. But it is what it is. I like it when I read it, but I didn't read this one. So that's that's what I've got for honorable mentions. I'm I'm happy to say it wasn't a whole lot, and none of it like and none of it was because I didn't like it because it was all stuff I just haven't gotten to reading yet. So yeah, except for Matrix, I'm never gonna read it. Fuck that book. It was in there by accident, and I do mean that sincerely. It was a complete accident that was in there. <laughs> Let's move on to the, the visual shit now. The stuff that's not really great for podcasting, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. It's the wall books. It's the stuff that I like to just hang on the wall. The cover's so nice, you know, I got to see them twice. <laughs> just made that up. Uh, or more than twice, because I walk through my halls to my studio that is Cerebro quite often. So we're going to start off with Green Lantern again. What a segue, Brian. This is a Kara Andrews cover, and uh, it's it's really good. I actually I did not order this one. Instead of them giving me cover A because I did not specify, this is the one I got. Not mad at it, especially because you know they only charge me the three ninety nine price because these uh, um, cardstock variants are a dollar more more than usual. So yeah, Green Lantern ten. It's a pretty Care Andrews, or yeah, Care Andrews cover. I I like all of 
that person's covers quite a bit. Uh, Deathstroke, number 46. So once again, this is a book that... <laughs> uh, I get a Deathstroke variant every time there's a Deathstroke variant. And I don't know why or how that is. I just... Since I started my pull list, I think maybe I just specified something incorrectly. And it was my f if it, it's my fault. It's not Mile High's fault by any means. I just keep forgetting to drop it. But usually I just find it as uh, something to trade it out with. Because there's usually something I forget when I go to the, the shop. <laughs> and instead of having to buy another book, I just take a book that I don't necessarily read and swap it out. But the Deathstroke variant cover this week from Skan as the artist, S-K-A-N is so much better up close than the the digital thumbnail than I originally saw. The digital thumbnail kind of made it seem cartoony, but Skan is an artist that I will be keeping an eye out for from here on because it is very, very reminiscent of the Francesco Mattina. Oh, that's what happened! Is Francesco Mattina was doing all those Deathstroke variants forever, and I yeah, I just forgot to drop it after he started doing it. That's what happened. But thankfully, there's, there's, I haven't... Yeah, the Deathstroke covers are great. Good job. Uh, a couple of deceased variants. I'm going to start out with the uh, horror movie homage cover from Tazia MS. This is a Final Destination homage. It's pretty fucking cool. It's got Joel Robin and some flat... And what is that, the... Some Teen Titans on there? I can't tell. Looks like Robin, uh, Wally, uh, Cyborg, Wonder Woman, and I don't know who that is in the back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's it's a de Final Destination. And you can picture it in your head. It's pretty cool, man. I liked it a bit. Uh, I didn't purposely order it. I actually ordered the Matina cover instead, but I didn't hate it, so I'm keeping it. And on that same note, uh, Deceased's Francesco Mattina cover, the Joker variant, was fucking amazing. All of the Mattina Deceased covers have been so incredible. So, so, so incredible. I, yeah, all worth buying. Even characters, like Superman and Wonder Woman, characters I don't really follow or care about. I like them when they look dead, I guess. <laughs> but I also think Francesco Mattina is my... Man, well, I don't think that he's my favorite. I know that he's my favorite artist. He's dope! Get you some. Uh, last of the wall books, it's Bring On the Bad Guys from Marvel. There was a couple of this, couple of them this week. Two or three, maybe. Uh, but I only grabbed one of them. And it was the Ryan Brown Immortal Hulk variant. We got the old school abomination on there doing the old throat punch on the Hulk. Uh, I'm not familiar with Ryan Brown's work. Uh, I don't recall any of his stuff off the top of my head. But once again, this is another art style that I could totally fucking get on board with. I like it when covers have almost a photographic look to them. Like the Alex Ross. Alex Ross is a little too realistic for me at times. But, you know, stuff like, you know, the art germ stuff, and uh, the Matina, and the uh, Inyuk Lee, and all those guys. You know, if you're familiar with their styles, you guys know what my steez is when it comes to cover. So naturally, I had to have that abomination, motherfucker. <sighs> Man, good stuff this week. Good stuff. Shiny stuff for the wall. I'm excited. Um, so, that, that is what I have to talk about, guys. That's it. It says, but I will go ahead and give you my top picks. I do like to shine a light on the stuff that I found to stand out to me personally. Uh, this is not a paid advertisement. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I guess some people care. I don't know. I usually don't care about other people's opinions. But <laughs> it is what it is. So let me just get on with it. This is actually be pretty quick because I can combine two in one. But first I'm going to start with the cover. Cover of the week. Definitely Matina's deceased cover. It's just a no fucking brainer. There, I mean, and don't get me wrong. There were some brilliant covers. Like I said, Ryan Brown. I dig your style. Con, uh, whoever you are, you're you're, you're dope. But uh, yeah, no Matina. It's been a while since I've seen Matina. Uh, since the last deceased cover, to be honest. And this is the best one so far. Easily, easily. So yeah, uh, deceased number four cover of the week. Francesca Mattina.
Cover me. <laughs> uh, now, as far as interiors go, it also coincides with my overall pick of the week, and that is Berserker Unbound. Jeff Lemire and Mike Diodoto. Mike Diodoto gets Interiors of the Week, and he also killed it on Savage Avengers as well, so either of those books could have got Interiors of the Week, but I think Berserker Unbound just surpassed it just a little bit, just for that one particular panel of him standing on a body, or a pile of, a mountain of bodies, uh, and just misting blood all over the place, limbs everywhere, oh man, so fucking brutal, it is really the best, the best shit that I've seen Diodoto do. Of all time, yeah, I've got that dude. I've got some shit on it on of his on my wall, and ah oh man, it's so cool to see him advance. Still, still gets better and better. And then as far as Jeff Lemire's story goes, I thought this was gonna be uh, more laughable than anything, to be honest. And uh, and I don't mean laughable as in not good. I just thought this is not the book I thought it was going to be. That it was gonna be more comedic, if you will. And, no, it's fucking harsh. Even with that, you know, like I said, the, the word trope I don't like. But, you know, that was too late to save my family type of idea. And But it, it works so very well. So very well. Uh, I I think a Conan and Mongrel King crossover is very suiting. Especially since Diodoto's drawing them both. So, <laughs> bring it on. Dark Horse Marvel crossover? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? That's been a podcast, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs> I really do appreciate y'all listening. Um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add. Uh, y'all, read responsibly. Stay cool out there. It's hot in most parts of the world right now. That's why I'm not doing YouTube videos as much, because the PC kind of... It overheats at times. Time for an upgrade. Sorry, guys. I'll get there, though. I'll get there, I promise. I promise. Uh, <coughs> advertisers. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. Thank you. I appreciate y'all's ears and times and whatnot. I hope that you've learned something today. Your, your interests have been piqued just a bit. Go out, read a comic book. Cheers, guys. If you're not getting paid to listen to podcasts, then frankly, you've been doing it wrong. I'm here to tell you about this fancy new app out there called Podcoin, where you actually earn coins, which translate into currency, or even charitable donations, if you so choose. And it's all accumulated based off the amount of time you put into listening to podcasts. Uh, and there are actually opportunities to earn double coins uh, when you listen to a featured podcast, like the Cheers to Comics podcast usually is. Uh, yeah, you earn double the coins there. And as if we're not doing enough for you to pad your pockets just for downloading the app... For first-time users, if you punch in the code COMICS, on behalf of Cheers to Comics Podcast and Podcoin, we're going to start you out, load you up with 300 coins right off the bat. So, start earning your rewards immediately. You cash those coins in for all types of good stuff. But you're going to have to find out what that stuff is all on your own, and you got to go download the app to do it. So, once again, that app is Podcoin. Do it.